So as we get into this message and we, we talk a little bit about joy, I want to go back last week to the fruits of the Spirit that we began with because they are so foundational to every one of these fruits that we're talking about in this series. And as we talk about these fruits, remember these fruits are not something we just decide we're going to add to our life. We talked about the trees, the Christmas tree where we just put ornaments on and decorations and we keep adding and adding and adding until we get it where we want. But instead, it's more like this fruit tree. And we had this little pitiful fruit tree. Looked like it's on its last leg. And, but what we do know is that if you water it and take care of the soil and you give it access to the sun, that it's going to grow up and it's going to continue year after year after year to produce fruit. But the purpose of this fruit that's being produced in us is not so that we would have these fruits. The purpose of those fruits in our life is so that we look more and more and more like Jesus every day. And the whole idea with these fruits of the Spirit growing in our lives is that Christ's likeness grows up in us so that Christ's likeness flows out of us. And as we become more and more like Jesus, that flows from our life. And we do that not from just deciding, hey, I want to focus really hard on love and joy and peace, but it comes from abiding planting ourselves in Jesus and allowing him to grow up in us and form us and shape us more and more and more in his likeness. And love comes out of our life. And joy, as we'll talk about, begins to flow from our life. But when we talk about joy, and I think it's understand, important to understand with any one of these, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're talking about the character of God in our life that is lived out. And so when we talk about joy, it's important to understand what it is that brings God joy. Because if we want the joy of God in our life, we need to understand what it is that brings God joy. And what brings God joy is human flourishing. When his people, in his creation, have a right relationship with him and with one another. And when creation is able to flourish and be full of life, then God experiences joy. And he finds joy in his people and in the relationships that they share. But I can tell you one of the things in my life that makes joy so difficult is my focus. Um, I have um, what you would probably call ADD. I get distracted really, really easily. And there are people who can multitask and do lots of different things. My wife is one of those. She works at home with four children. And she managed to, to work and actually do things. And so a few years ago for Mother's Day, um, some of you will probably remember this, some of you weren't even here then. But a few years ago for Mother's Day, my wife and I traded places. And we showed a video of that day in the sermon where I did her day and she did mine. And so I took care of the four kids and worked at home and ran errands and did all the things that I was supposed to do that she was supposed to do, and she came to the office and had a glorious day. And so here's just a, a short, short, short clip from that video. Okay, Cammie, so how's your day been? It's been good. I've gotten work done. I've gotten to visit with people. Yeah. What do you, you think about being up here? It's nice. 
What's quiet. It, is it really? Mm -hmm. Compared to what? Taking care of the kids and holding the kid. And so you're switching places with Gary today. Have you talked to Gary? I did. I have. Can I talked to him just a little bit ago. And you give us an update on how he's doing. <laughs> he had to go to the store. Oh, well, bless his heart. To get dog food and take the dog to the vet to crate him. And he said we were never doing this again. <laughs> spoke, like, spoke like a true mom, huh? Kaylee? Did you get into the markers? No? Oh, okay. Um, and you got chocolate all over your shirt and all over your face. Yeah, and marker all over your body. So he's pretty much on schedule? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I mean, Kudos I'm not late to appointments. <laughs> um, I. I will say I struggled immensely because my focus, um, trying to work, and Thursday is really when I kind of go back to the sermon that I wrote a week before and really focus on trying to memorize some things and, and get things straightened out and get slides done. And so I really do need a lot of really, really good focused time. And my mind was so distracted by everything going around. I forgot to change Kaylee's diaper at one point and just, it was um, a mess. Thankfully, she is very good at that. But, but my focus, when I, when I really need to focus on something, has to be completely on what I am trying to focus on. And everything else going on around me, the noise, it just pulls my attention in other ways. And I wonder if at times that happens with our lives as well. Because we think of joy as a feeling, but joy is first a focus. Before joy is ever a feeling, it is a focus. It, it is a focus on what matters in our life and what is important and keeping us moving in that direction. And so many times I think we confuse the idea of joy with happiness. Happiness comes from the Latin word or the Latin root hap which means happenings, which makes a lot of sense. Happenings um, is related to our happiness, what's happening in our life. And so many times it's related to a, a couple of different areas, comfort, pleasure, and security. If we're comfortable and everything is okay in our life and we've got what we need, then we're, we're good and we're happy. And if we feel secure and we feel safe, whether it's financially or physically, that we feel good. And if we have pleasure, then everything is right in our life and we feel happy because the circumstances that are surrounding us are directing our focus towards ourself and what makes us happy and what sustains us and what fills us. But what we're talking about when we talk about joy is a little bit different than happiness. Because the source of happiness eventually runs out. Right? When we talk about comfort or security or pleasure, eventually that source, that well, runs dry. It's limited. But when we talk about sincere joy and this Christ-like joy, 
it is something where there's an unlimited source, that it just flows and flows and flows, but it is not just simply a feeling. It's a focus. And I think we have so many people in our world today who give up on things because they're not happy. They give up on their job because they're not happy doing it. They give up on their marriage because they're not happy with it. And we have this limited mindset where we just are moving in this direction and things start coming at us and, and pleasure and comfort and start grabbing our attention, grabbing our focus away from what is happening all around us or what's happening should be in front of us. And it's not this feeling of happy, but it's joy. And James, as he begins, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy because you're going through trials. I don't think that's exactly what he meant. Because the trial you're going through is not a joyous thing. Whether it's persecution, which it probably was for many of these people. Temptation, illness, loss, um, fractured family, financial issues. Whatever those trials of many kinds are in your life, consider it pure joy. Why? Because that pain has a purpose. And that purpose is to produce perseverance in your life. That pain that you're going through, the hardship, the trial, is helping you to persevere. Because what you know and I know is there's something that's going to come along later. That's going to be more difficult than what you just went through. But what you went through is preparing you to be able to stand up under the weight of what you will go through next. It's helping to teach you to persevere. And the reason that he says perseverance is so important is because in learning to persevere, you become mature. There, there is this flow and this progression that the pain has. The hardship, the trials, the pain produces perseverance. And this perseverance is working to make you more mature and more complete. And I think what happens so often is we have this tendency to look at the pain and we want to get out of it. We, we want so badly for it to, to be over. But what James is saying is there's something beautiful, not, not the pain, not the hard time that you're going through, but what that hard time and what that pain is doing inside of you. Because I can point to so many different stories of people in here. People we would look at and say they have a beautifully mature faith. 
And we can also point to trials and hardships and pain that they have gone through that have made them what they are as they follow Jesus. It's not that the pain and the hardship is not a big deal. And the other thing he doesn't say, he doesn't say God causes it all to happen. God didn't cause your financial hardship, but he can redeem it. He, he didn't cause the affair, he didn't cause the divorce, divorce but he can redeem it. I, I don't believe that God causes all things, but I do believe that he can redeem all things. That he can make all things new. And so he says, here's what happens. When you go through these difficult times, when you go through this hardship, it's going to produce this perseverance in you. And this perseverance is going to lead to maturity. But the problem is the pain never comes in the way that we would expect it. It never comes when we're waiting for it. Um, a few weeks ago, my oldest son, Ryan, who's 10 years old, we were out on the baseball field, and I was talking to some, some other kids and parents, and he runs up behind me and jumps on my back. And I woke up the next morning thinking, oh my goodness, like my back hurts, like I'm sore. And the problem wasn't the weight. I mean, he weighs 90 pounds. I did a workout the other day, and, and I, put nine, I put 135 pounds on my weight and on my back and squatted, and it was fine, and I was expecting it. The problem comes when we're not expecting it, when we're not expecting the financial burden, when we're not expecting the temptation to creep up. It, it wasn't necessarily the weight. It was that we weren't ready for it. We weren't expecting it. And I think what happens is we learn to persevere, is we become more and more mature. Is that we're able to handle the things a little bit more gracefully than we did before. Not because it's easier. Not because it doesn't matter. Not because it's not a big deal. But because we've been through it and we've grown stronger from it. We're learning to persevere. We're learning as we become more and more and more mature. The other thing I think I would say is the realization that your life counts for the kingdom. I think we have two lives, the way we perceive our lives, two lives. A, a big life and a small life. And so many times I think we live in this small life of what's happening to us right now and our circumstances and the things that are crowding around us, and it makes us look inward. But then there is this big life, this life you've been invited to be a part of, this life that's not just about you, this life that's about the kingdom of God in this world and that you get to be a part of and bringing life into a world of brokenness and death. It's an invitation to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And we live so much of our life in this small life where, where we have blinders on to everything else that's happening around us. And, and we forget that we're part of this bigger story. 
that God is doing something bigger in this world than just simply dealing with us. Hebrews, the writer, um, talks about Jesus and talks about the endurance of his faith. And he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now listen to this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endures the cross. He, he doesn't say that the cross was joy to him. But the purpose of the pain and what the cross was doing in this world and what the cross was doing for God's creation to be able to flourish, that was what brought him joy. It, it wasn't the cross. It wasn't the, the betrayal. It wasn't the pain. It wasn't the blood. It wasn't the sweat. It wasn't the tears. It wasn't being denied that brought him joy. That was part of the, the pain. That was part of the trial. But the joy came from what was set before him. Because the pain had purpose. The pain was doing something good in this world. Um, if, if you know much about me, you know I do not like needles. I'm actually afraid of needles. But two weeks ago, I gave blood. And I gave blood, and like I do every time I give blood, I just ask the lady, when she's going to stick me, tell me so I can look the other way. Because I don't want to see it going in. I don't want to know that it's coming. I just want to deal with it. And I close my eyes and I look away. But I, I know that that pain is temporary. And I know that pain is part of something bigger. That by me giving blood, I'm giving life to other people. And so I'm going to endure the pain because I know it's leading to something better on the other side. I'm going to go through it. And pain is so much easier to endure when there's a purpose in it. When there's purpose in your pain, it's so much easier to endure. Working out, it's so much easier to endure the pain when you know it's leading to something better. Relationally, it's easier to endure the pain when you know it's leading to something better. Financially, if you're trying to get out of debt, it's easier to endure the pain if it's leading to something better. I think we know that physically. But I wonder if we know it spiritually. Right? We're, we're willing to go through the hard times and the pain when we know it's producing something in us physically. But what about when it, what about spiritually? When you're going through the difficulties financially or with your family and your marriage, is it producing something else in you spiritually? Is it moving you closer and closer to Jesus? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. And pain with a purpose seems easier to endure than pain without a purpose. And the writer of Hebrews says there is a purpose. There was a purpose for Jesus' pain. There was a reason for that joy. And it was what was set before him. It wasn't what was happening all around him. Because there was plenty going on all around him. There was plenty that could pull his focus from the joy that was set before him. There's the crowd. There's the betrayal. There's the denial. There's the pain. But he focuses on what's before him. And so, what is it? If we, if we want to fix our eyes on Jesus and find joy in Him, what is it that we fix our eyes on? I think one is we fix our eyes on the joy of our salvation. We fix our eyes on the joy of our salvation. Luke brings this announcement as Jesus is born. He says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. This idea that a Savior has come into the world to pull us out of the clutches, the grasps for for them of Rome and this empire that seemed to be closing in on them and persecuting them and death was getting the last word. And now there's a Savior in our midst who's come into this world to bring us life. Second is joy in abiding in Him. I mean, do do you feel this sense that when you're with Jesus that it just brings you great joy? Or is it just something that you do throughout your, your week and it's part of this routine? Or do you really find this deep, profound sense of joy because you are with Him? And more than anything else in the world, the one thing that matters is that you are planted in Him and that you've found life in Him and that He is growing you up and He's maturing you and you find joy in Him. In John 15... And we, we worked through this last week. He talks about the importance of remaining in Him, abiding in Him. And He says, if you remain in Me, if you abide in Me, and I in you, you will produce much fruit. But apart from Me, He says, you can do nothing. And He continues, Jesus continues to tell him about the importance of obeying these commands, of loving one another, and how important it is, and you can't do that apart from me. And then he says this in in verse 11. I have told you this so that you... I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy will be complete. I've told you to abide. I've told you to remain in me, to be a part of what I'm doing in this world. So that you will have joy. And then third, I think we find joy in the kingdom. Joy in the kingdom of God, knowing that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. Not not this little small world that we find ourselves focused on. But this bigger world that is a part of something grand that God is doing in redeeming all things. 
the, the amazing thing, when, when we say we don't believe that God caused all this to happen, but he can redeem all of this, that he invites you and he invites me to be a part of that redemption. And, and you get this sense, as you, especially as you read through the book of Revelation, and it, this, this drama that's unfolding, um, specifically as you get to chapter 5, this drama that's unfolding around the throne room. And you have all of these living creatures, and it, it begins with this small little focus of these creatures focused in around the throne. And it branches out and it, it kind of pans out and gives this bigger picture. And, and there's 24 elders. And then there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands all centered around this throne. And it reminds you and I that there is a throne in heaven and we are not seated on it. That we're not the center of the story. And all of these gather around this throne of God are worshiping. And they're saying, you who are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then he going down is 10,000 times 10,000 and circle the throne. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea that was all saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And they all fell down and worshipped him. When you get this sense that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And you're a part of what God is doing in this world to bring redemption and bring reconciliation and bring peace and bring grace into this world as His hands and feet. It gives joy. And there is a sense which the flow of that joy is unlimited. And there are so many things around us that distract us from the joy that is set before us. I think one of the biggest problems that we fall into, and it's nothing new, it's just a human thing, is the comparison game. There is nothing that will steal your joy like comparison. And there is nothing that will keep you from focusing on what is set before you than having your focus stolen by what's around you. Because it's so easy when, when we're here to say, well, there's our focus. It's on the kingdom. It's on abiding in Jesus. It's upon worshiping Him. That, that's where our joy is. It's before us. But then we walk out of this room and we say, man, that's a nice car. I sure do like that. That's a pretty nice house. Man, that's a pretty nice paycheck. That's a pretty nice job. It gets pretty difficult to focus on what's before us if our attention's always stolen by what's all around us. I wish I had their marriage. I wish I had their kids. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their car. 
I wish I had their house. I wish I had that picture. I wish I had that talent. I wish I had that ability. I wish I had that strength. I wish I had that gift. It's pretty easy for something to steal your joy and to pull your attention from what was set before you. See, the source of that joy, it never runs out. But the source of that joy, what's all around you, it's a limited resource. And eventually, that well will run dry. Maybe it's security, or pleasure, or comfort. We find pleasure in our job, our family, our home. It's not like those are bad things. But if you're not careful, what was meant to be a blessing can easily become a curse that pulls your attention and your focus away from Jesus. And I find it fascinating. Is there wondering, as Israelites are wondering in the desert, that God's greatest concern is them not, not them losing faith in the desert when he's leading them. But his greatest concern was when they got there. And he tells them, be careful that you don't forget. When, when you have fine homes and you settle down and you have plenty to eat, be careful that you don't forget that it was the Lord your God who gave you these things. Otherwise, you might say that it was by the strength of my hands and my wisdom that built this. Be careful. That you don't forget. I think comparison will steal your joy. But what I do know is your priorities will control your joy. If you fix your focus, if you keep your priorities set on the kingdom of God, on abiding in Jesus, on the joy that we have in our salvation, that our joy will grow. And I think one of the greatest ways we see is when we have the opportunity to join in what God is doing in this world. Bringing hope and healing in the presence of death and decay. That we see that we're a part of that human flourishing and bringing life. See, joy comes from the priority of God's presence in your life. I wonder how many of us have been looking for joy in the wrong places. I wonder how many of us find ourselves trying to find joy and constantly looking for it and searching for it, thirsting for it, and not finding it. Because we're trying to find it in wells that have run dry. Wells that can't continue to produce over and over, day after day, year after year. 
and just simply ask this morning, could we refocus on the joy set before us? And that in that joy, we find life and we find hope. Father, today, as we walk with Jesus, Father, give us a sense of joy. This joy that's overflowing, but this joy that we are in control of. That we're in control of as we plant ourselves in you. And it doesn't just all come at once. It grows in us as we find joy in what you've called us to be a part of. As we find joy in our salvation, that you have reached down into death and pulled us out into life. That we find joy in being a part of your kingdom. Father, may we find hope in Jesus today. And as we abide in Him, Father, would you grow that joy into our life in a fruit that is coming out and giving blessing to this world. Father, we're grateful for this time that we have. We pray that you would continue to grow us up as we follow Jesus more and more today. And Father, that you would grow these fruits in our lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.